talk about signs this morning. About four miles, three and a half or four miles west of Hondo, there's a sign that says, hitchhikers may be escaping inmates. That's an interesting sign to pay attention to. And then there, there are all sorts of signs that people don't pay attention to, like all of these triangular ones that say yield. Maybe you don't have to read to take a driver test anymore. I don't know. But, or maybe nobody knows what yield means. Maybe they think yield means go as fast as you can and get in front of the person. But signs point us to things, don't they? A lot of times. Like down, down around the central part of town, there are some signs that say the Alamo, right? But they're not the Alamo. They're just directing us toward the Alamo. And that's what John did in his gospel. He talks about signs. John doesn't mention miracles. John doesn't mention miracles. He talks about signs that Jesus did. And the signs show us better who Jesus was. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of John, the second chapter, which is about the first sign. Consider the word of the Lord. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to them, fill the jars with water, and they fill them up to the brim. He said to them, now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. When the steward tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the steward called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother, his brothers, and his disciples, and they remained there a few days. The word of the Lord for the people of the Lord. Please be in prayer with me and for me. Gracious and loving God, God who created the heavens and the earth and all that is. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our strength and our salvation. Amen. The word grace appears in the Gospel of John four times. Now, grace is an important thing. In fact, grace is the probably the single most important concept we have as far as our faith goes. And again, 
we don't have to make it complicated. We don't have to make it complicated, although it's fun to make it complicated sometimes, isn't it? Grace is simply God doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. We're saved by grace through faith because we can't save ourselves. Every gracious act of God is something that we can't do ourselves. It's God doing for us what we can't do for ourselves. And there in that first chapter of John, John says, as we sang in Hark the Herald Angels Sing, right? Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Charles Wesley was pretty good about that, about including theology and scripture in the hymns that he wrote. It says, the law came through Moses there in John chapter 1, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And the only four times that John mentions grace in the Gospel of John are there in the first chapter. Not only are they just there in the first chapter, it's between verses, what, 14 and 17 that, that grace appears the four times. John, as I said a minute ago, uses the word sign. He doesn't talk about miracles. And he, and he uses the signs to show people who Jesus is and to show people the grace that was demonstrated in Jesus' life. And John's real unambiguous, real clear about it. In, um, down a few, a few chapters in chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, John says Jesus performed many signs. And the purpose of telling you about the ones that I've told you here are so that you might believe that he is the Messiah, the Christ. That's John's whole purpose in writing the book. He tells us right there. That's his thesis. But notice something else that John does. Very, very, very particular about what he does. As I said there in chapter 20, he says, Jesus performed many, many signs. John only tells us about seven. That's it. He tells us seven signs that Jesus performed. And he sticks to those seven because I believe, I haven't talked to him about it, I believe he thought those were sufficient to point us toward the grace and the truth that Jesus demonstrated. On the third day, he starts out there. Notice how John starts telling us everything that's going to happen right up front and carries through. What happened on the third day? I'm not talking about the resurrection, although I think John is alluding to that here. What happened on the third day? That's when life started, right? That's when life started. The first day God made day and night, separated light from dark. The second day made the skies and all that. The third day separated dry land from the seas, and that's when Plants started growing, vegetation. There was life on the third day. There was life on the third day. And of course, as John knows, as, as John well knows by the time he wrote this, because this was written a long time after Jesus' death and resurrection, he knows that Jesus demonstrated life on the third day also. So on the third day, there's a wedding. There's a wedding, another symbol of life, another symbol of life. 
And there, there Jesus and the disciples are with his mother. Now this is, this is another very, 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 to me, interesting thing that John does. He never calls Mary by name. Did you notice that? It says the mother of Jesus. He really only has her in there two times uh, of any important, here, here at the wedding and at Jesus' crucifixion sort of like bookends to his ministry. But John never refers to Jesus' mother as Mary. He refers to her as the mother of Jesus. The mother of Jesus. I wonder what he's trying to do there or if he's trying to do anything. Maybe, you know, maybe he's not. But I, I, sort, of think, I sort of think he's emphasizing relationships. He's emphasizing relationships. And he's emphasizing that that was Jesus' mother. Anyway, she says to Jesus, hey, this guy's not throwing a very good party. He ran out of wine already, you know. And Jesus basically says, so what? Is that my problem? But notice how he says it. He says, my time has not yet come. This is another thing we see throughout the book of John. When Jesus says his time has not yet come, he means it's not time for him to be crucified. Now, why would John put that there, or why would Jesus say that at that wedding? But then he goes and performs, according to John, the first sign that he did. We'll think about that a minute. Jesus' mother says to the servants, what? Do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you. And this is the deal. The kingdom of heaven, where heaven intersects with earth, the transformations that take place where heaven intersects with earth happen when we do what Jesus says. When we do whatever Jesus says, that's when the transformations take place. That's when heaven comes in to earth and is manifest to everybody. I want us to look real briefly at the other the other six signs that John talks about, because I think they all teach us something about doing what Jesus says and looking at seeing what grace and truth look like. The next sign that Jesus, Jesus performs that, that John thought was noteworthy of telling us about takes place in chapter 4. That's when Jesus raises the official son of back to life. He's dying, and he tells him the boy's going to be healed. The, remember, the official comes to see Jesus, and he says, my son is, is very, very ill. And what did Jesus tell him? This is such an uh, important passage because it shows us a couple of things. One is you don't have to be in the local position to heal somebody. Prayer works across time and space. There are no limits on prayer when it comes to time and space. This official came to Jesus and said, my son's dying. If you'll go over there, he'll be, you know, you can heal him. And Jesus says to the official, go, your son will be okay. And he went. He went. He believed Jesus and he went. So when Jesus tells us to do something, we can see the kingdom of heaven manifest if we do it, if we do it. 
The next one I particularly like, it's in John chapter 5. There's this guy waiting there to be healed. The paralytic's been laying there a long time, right? And notice this always stops me when I read it. Jesus looks at the man, and before he tells him to do anything, he says, do you want to be well? Do you want to be well? You know, I look around sometimes and I wonder how many people want to be well. One would assume on the face of things that everybody would want to be well. Then I wonder, this man had been lying there for, what was it, 38 years, something like that. And when Jesus asked him if he wanted to be well, what did he do? He made an excuse. He says, when the angel stirs the water up, there's nobody here to help me get down there in time. And somebody beats me down there and they get the goodie out of the water, you know, before I can get there. Jesus said, stand up and walk. And, of course, he stood up and walked. In chapter 6, we got a couple of signs. There's, you know, there's one and two, one and four, one and five, two and six. In 6, Jesus feeds 5,000 people. What did he tell his disciples to do? He said, tell the people to sit down. Sit down. Relax. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. When we lie down and wait upon the Lord, He takes care of us. And He fed the people. Then the next, the next sign in John chapter 6 is what? Jesus taking a walk across the ocean. He's walking on the water. This is probably the instruction that Jesus tells us, whatever he tells you to do, do it. It's more important than any of the rest of them. When the disciples saw him, they, they, were, they were freaked out, right? They were shocked. And he said, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You know, fear is probably at the root of 104% of our problems. If we just aren't afraid, things go pretty well. They really do. And as Jesus amply demonstrated, there's really nothing to be afraid of, right? There's nothing to be afraid of. It all comes out okay in the end. It all comes out okay. But we're just, we're just caught up in these flesh suits and these temporal ideas get in our heads and we think this is it. This isn't it. Then in John chapter 9, we got the man that was born blind. We got the man that was born blind. What's John trying to tell us about grace and truth in these signs that he's cherry-picked? He tells us. He's unambiguous about it. He doesn't deny it. He's picked specific examples. And there's something in each and every one of those specific examples for us to get out. And I urge all of you to get out your Bibles and go to those particular signs that John showed us and see what they show you. But the man that was born blind, Jesus said what? I think this is the only miracle, or I, excuse me, John would be mad at me, sign that Jesus performs where he actually uses another agent, right? He picks up some dirt out of the ground and spits into it and makes some mud, you know? The guy was blind at the time, so he didn't know, right? So it didn't bother him. Jesus puts the mud on his eyes that he made, 
And he said, go wash in the pool of Siloam. Go wash. And he did, and he saw. And then there's the biggie, the big sign. In chapter 11, Lazarus. Oh, Lazarus, he's, he was dead longer than Jesus, right? He was dead for four days. And good old faithful Mary, you know, he's going to smell bad by now. And Jesus said, what? If you only believe, I told you, you'd see the glory of God. And Jesus said to Lazarus, come out. Come out. Come out from, and, and, and I would say Jesus is saying to each and every one of us, whatever it is you're doing that it has you in a tomb, that's uh, having you associate with death, come out of there. Get out of there. And then there's some, there, there were some other things Jesus told his disciples doing that were standing around Lazarus, which I think are very apropos to us as well. He said, what? Unbind him and let him go. Is there anybody in your life that you've got bound up that you're not letting them go because of something that you're doing? Anyway, something to think about. Now we come, we've seen the seven signs that Jesus performed, but I want us to spend just a few more minutes on the first one. Notice, notice who knows that Jesus performed a sign and changed water into wine. It wasn't the chief steward. It tells us there the chief steward didn't know where the wine came from. It was the servants, the ones who did what Jesus told them to do. They saw the signs. They saw the signs. Now, I think John is so clever, and this is such a metaphor for everything, where did they put the water? They put the water in the jugs that were used for the rites of purification. But God has a new way of purification for us, right? It's not through washings and ceremonies that it talks about over and over. It's through what? The blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus. And Jesus turns the water into wine in the jars for the purification water. And then we all know what Jesus said shortly before his crucifixion. He took the wine, right, and said, this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. John's a pretty clever guy. What did Jesus tell those servants to do? He said, what? Fill those jars up. I think he's saying to us, fill up your life with the Holy Spirit, with God, with goodness and grace and truth. And then what? Draw some of that out. Draw some of that out and take it to the people around you. Take it to the people around you because they need it. They are thirsting for it. So again, if we want to see the transforming power of God, then we do what Jesus told us to do. And as I mentioned earlier this morning in the in the welcome time, the little cards are out there. The little cards are out there on the welcome center and I put that forth as a vision for all of us, for the entire congregation, for each and every one of us for the year that's going to start here in a couple of days. 
And it says what? And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And if we do that, we'll see the transforming power of God. Amen?